So that, that's the song apparently that Shane thought he put in our head. wasn't the song he put in my head, but that that's, doesn't matter. Uh, just so all you guys know, I've been out to eat with Jack like a bunch of times, and literally almost every time we've gone, he sent his food back, so don't listen to that. That's also not true. I'm lying. That's not a good way to start off service. Um, so I had two friends in, in college I went to evangel with, Ben and Sarah. Uh, ben and Sarah grew up very, 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 very differently. Ben was the son of a pastor. Um, he was like one of those, thank God for boring testimony people, right? Like just his whole life he was on board. He had great parents, great examples, uh, raised him with Christian values. Um, he was just 100% on fire for God. Uh, unfortunately for Sarah, she did not have that same privilege. Um, Sarah's parents were pretty much the opposite of what Ben's were. And, and quite frankly, Sarah had some really awful things happen to her. Uh, when she was younger, that, that led her uh, down a road of making some pretty terrible choices and, and having some um, bad self-views, low self-worth. But, like we know can happen, uh, Sarah met Jesus. And through that relationship that she began with Jesus and with God, she turned things around. And she, too, got on fire for God. Um, ben and Sarah uh, fell in love. The minute Ben met Sarah, holy cow. He, he talked to, to me about her nonstop um, and uh, fell in love, and Ben and Sarah got married. Today we're going to be in Hosea chapter 1. Uh, if you want to turn there with me, I will also probably refer to this at some point as Hosey because I am from uh, the middle of Missouri. So I apologize if Hosea turns into Hosey, but just understand that they are interchangeable. And I uh, mean the same exact person, okay? So, Hosea, Hosey, whatever you want to call it, chapter 1, verse 2. This is what it tells us. It says that when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Okay, so first things first. The, the thing that we have to absolutely understand about the, the story of Hosea is that Hosea marries a woman who, this translation, the NIV, what I'm using, puts it uh, mildly, where every other translation puts it like Shane Kennard, okay? And uh, says, call, says, go marry a wife of whoredoms. That's what it says. I also am realizing that I have Invisalign braces. For those of you that don't know, and I have a lisp, and it's bothering me. So if that happens too, my bad. Um, I just felt like I had to get that out there. So, <laughs> you know, things happen. Uh, so Hosea and Gomer, their relationship perfectly mimics the relationship between God and his followers, the Israelites, okay? And transfers to us too. It mimics our relationship that we have with God as well. Uh, the Israelites' unfaithfulness had come to a, a, a boiling point here, okay? This isn't like step one, the first time they screwed up. It got to a point where God could no longer overlook what was happening. So unfortunately for Hosea, he got to be... God's example to the Israelites. His life became the connection to the Israelites of what God was trying to tell them. So he gets to go marry an adulterous woman. And we see uh, in the next verse in Hosea chapter 3 and 4, it goes on to tell us that, so he married Gomer, daughter of uh, whatever that name is, to blame, <laughs> to blame him for her problems. Um, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end uh, to the kingdom of Israel. 
So God is trying to wake the Israelites up, right? Jezreel's supposed to be a wake-up call. Jezreel's supposed to be the first sign for the Israelites that, hey, you need to turn this thing around. Jezreel was a term commonly used in the Old Testament to wake the Israelites up to the fact that they were living in sin. This is God telling them, okay, in this whole marriage connection that I see your adultery. This is the husband catching the wife cheating. Now see, a wife who loves her husband at this point begins to cry, apologizes, feels conviction, and starts to move towards a point of reconciliation because in this story, she's with a husband, God, who wants to reconcile, who loves her beyond measure. But the Israelites weren't that wife. And so they ignore this wake-up call. And as I said, this could have been the turning point for them, but they weren't getting it. And so God lets them know in verse 5 that, hey, if you don't get this, if you're not understanding and if you're not going to stop your behavior, this is what's going to happen. In verse 5 he says, In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. So, so because of your behavior, you are going to lose what makes you great. See, the Israelites took great pride in their military prowess. They took great pride in that. And their, their weapon of choice was the bow. They were deadly with it. We're talking like thousands of Katniss Everdeens and Legolas's and the dude from Robin Hood Men in Tights, whoever that guy is. Okay? These people are like sharpshooter extraordinaires. You know what the great thing about every relationship is when we're in a healthy relationship? It provides us a strength that we don't have on our own. It provides us a strength that we don't have on, their, on our own. And God's telling the Israelites, listen, the benefits that you have from this relationship with me, your military might, that comfortability you have in knowing that you can take on any challenge that comes your way, I'm going to take that away from you. Because when we break up, the thing that causes the most pain is that we lose something we can't get back. We lose something we can't get back because we no longer have that person that adds to our strength. Well, as I said, the Israelites didn't get it. So God gives Jose, Jose? I didn't tell you it was going to be Jose. Uh, this is the uh, Hispanic edition. Um, please don't put that on the podcast. Um, so we, <laughs> we have Hosea, or Jose, okay? And he and Gomer have another child. And this happens in verse 6. And it says that Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. So here's the thing. God, God catches the Israelites in adultery. He catches them cheating. And they don't change their behavior. And they continue down that path and he catches them again. And at this point he's saying, listen, I, I caught you once. I asked you to stop. I explained to you what would happen if you didn't stop, and I'm at the point where enough is enough. See, there comes a point where enough is enough, and God is telling them, how can I love you if you continue to behave this way? I can't, and I won't. In every relationship, no matter whether that's marriage or friendship or somebody that we have just met that we're trying to get to help past the hard time, there comes a point when enough is enough. And we say, I can't take your disrespect any longer. 
I can't let you continue to walk all over me. But see, here's the difference about God. God loves beyond what we think love can be. And he goes on to explain to them in verse 7. Yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them. See, he's delivering the direct contrast to what they're having to deal with right now. He's saying, listen, your behavior has caused this outcome, but look how I treat those who stay in relationship with me. Remember, we talked about how the Israelites took so much pride in their military and the fact that they were powerful. And God goes on to say, I'm going to save those who love me, not by their own means, not by horsemen, not by military, not by their might, but through my love. Because I love them, they will be saved. And yet, wake up call number two, Israelites still don't get it. And they continue to turn their backs on God and tell God, we don't need you. Goes on. And Gomer and Hosea, they have another child. Verse 8, it says that after she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. And the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is the point where legal separation happens. Right? This is the point where legal separation happens. Where God says, I really can't do it anymore. I caught you once, I begged you to stop, and you turned your back on me. I caught you again, I told you that I'd still love you, and you turned your back on me. And what's the difference here? Notice I said legal separation, right? This is grounds for divorce. But why just separation? Because God still doesn't give up on people that he loves. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? See, the fact is, God loves you. He loved the Israelites. And every time we spit in his face, that causes him pain. But he continues to hold out hope that we're going to turn things around. That we're going to recognize that, you know what? God, you're right. And I'm sorry. And I realize that I can't go on like this. And I'm going to turn things around. But when that doesn't happen, when he continues to warn us and warn us and warn us and we tell God, I don't need you. You're not my concern. God says, I can no longer be part of your life. Unless there comes that day when we recognize our sin. Going on in in verse 10 God says, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together, and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great is the day of Jezreel. God remembers the promises that he makes people. And the greatest thing about God is that he keeps them. You see, he told Abraham that your descendants will be so numerous 
that we won't be able to even count them. And time after time, even after Abram, the Israelites turned their back on God and they told God, you know what, I, we don't want to do things the way you want us to do things. And they lost his protection and they lost his provision. God still kept to that promise saying that one day I will love again. I will love again. When it comes to the point where the Israelites realize that they need the strength that we have together, I will join back in love with them. They will be my children. Remember the whole passage before this, he refers to them as people. People has that connotation of property in a way. right? God's saying that these are my creation, these are my people, this is the choice that I have made. But they were not showing love in return. Children is something far beyond people. You see, I love people. But I would lay my life down for my child. And I would make every effort to make sure that my child had everything that she could possibly need. And that's what God is trying to get the Israelites to see. That when you recognize there's an issue, I'll be here. We see later in, in the upcoming weeks that Gomer was not committed to Hosea. What happens in a marriage when one party, like Hosea and like God, were fully committed, and the other party, like the Israelites and Gomer, were not? See, we have disillusion, we have resentment, we have rejection. Gomer and Hosea were not in a healthy relationship. And what was the product of that relationship? Jezreel, atrocity, lo ruhama, no mercy, no longer loved, rejection. And then lo ami, that's no love, sorry. Lo ruhama is the rejection, not my people. If we're in a relationship where... Uh, we continue to turn our backs on people and, and, and we don't keep our end of the bargain, right? In a marriage, if we say till death do us part, but we only mean till it's inconvenient for me, what good is that? The Israelites could have turned things around at any point with one simple thing, recognition. See, the first way, the first step in fixing a problem is what? Recognizing that you have a problem. Recognizing that you have a problem. So whether that problem in your life is alcoholism, or whether it's the fact that you're a glutton, or like myself, whether that problem in your life is lust, or has been lust in the past, recognizing that problem helps you overcome that problem. I'll use personal examples. I was a glutton. You all have seen my story. I've kind of lived it out in front of you. Nine months ago, I weighed 405 pounds. I've lost 125 pounds since then. Okay? Why? Because I recognized that there was a problem, because I recognized that I was harming my family, that I wasn't keeping my temple up to par for Jesus, and that as a Christian man and a leader in my community, I needed to set a good example. And so I dedicated myself to turning that around. 
I just admitted that I've struggled with lust in my life. So what have I done? I have password protected filters on all of my devices. And you know who keeps those passwords? My wife. She knows them. She set them. Because I promised her that while I struggle with this, and while this has been a struggle in my life, my love for you is greater. I know that I can overcome this. But just in case it comes to the point where I stumble, I'm making this commitment to you to continue to push and strive towards a relationship that is healthy and that shows you that I am 100% on board. You have sin in your life. You have something that's overwhelming you. Recognize that it's a problem. Be honest with yourself. Go to God. Let him know that I realize I haven't been doing things right. That's called conviction. Ask for forgiveness and take the steps towards reconciliation. That's all that God wanted from the Israelites. It really truly is simple. It is as simple as just saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm on board, what's next? I realize too by looking at all of you that I have like the angry preacher look on my face because <laughs> you all look like Cordelia when I'm like getting on to her. I need like the smiling, I'm sorry, I get intense, passionate about what I'm talking about. But understand that it's never too late. Never, ever too late. There's never a point where you're beyond hope. There's never a point where God says, I don't love you. There may be a point where God says, I can't be around you right now. But he's one phone call away. Now, if you pick up your phone and try to dial God, we'll probably think you're a little bit nuts. But I hope you get the gist of what I was saying. It's as simple as saying, God, I'm sorry. I love you. I need you. Let me come back home. Or please come back home. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. When we were dead, God brought us back to life. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the love that you share us, for the fact that in this relationship, this marriage that we have with you, that you never give up hope. That even when we turn our backs on you, that even when we are walking down a bad path, that even when we can't seem to make things right, Lord, you still love us. And you're just waiting for us to come back home. You're just waiting for us to call you up and tell you, Lord, we are sorry, we apologize, make us whole again. Recognition. Lord, we need to recognize that we have problems. We need to recognize that you love us. We need to recognize that you sent your son to die for us. We need to recognize, Lord, that there is no power greater than yours. So often we rely on ourselves. We rely on our own strengths. We rely uh, on those around us, but we never look to you. Lord, help us look to you. Help us recognize that there's no greater love than the love of God, than the love of the one who sent our Savior. 
In your son's name we pray, amen.